0: From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit podcast. For the Zone of Interest star Sandra Hüller, it's not just about being brave for taking on a role in a film set during the Holocaust
1: it took a lot of time to trust this process because it is a very dangerous thing to do and I remember a conversation with one of the producers when we were already in Poland where he said you're very brave to do that and I got a bit angry and I said it's not about me being brave it's about you protecting us that's your job that's what you have to do.
0: I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Sandra Huller about her two current films, The Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall. Later, we also chat with Glenn Howerton, star of BlackBerry. It's all next on the final 2023 episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Sandra Huller finds herself at the center of two of the most talked about movies of the year. The German actor gets to show her range and her facility with languages in both Jonathan Glazer's drama The Zone of Interest and Justine Triet's legal thriller Anatomy of a Fall. Both premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in May, where Anatomy won the Palme d'Or and Zone was awarded the runner-up Grand Prix Prize. When Hula was first sent a scene from The Zone of Interest, it was merely of a couple fighting. She had no idea the film was set during the Holocaust or that the arguing pair were an Auschwitz commandant and his wife. Huller had long shied away from films set during the Holocaust. However, once she read the script and met with Glazer, she changed her mind. Huller says Glazer made her feel safe, but it took her some time to trust the process. Meanwhile, in Anatomy of a Fall, Huller's character is accused of pushing her husband to his death, and the film never overtly tells the audience if she is guilty or not. While one would assume the actor herself would have a firm answer on the character's guilt or innocence, Huler says she preferred to leave it ambiguous. I just
1: want you to know one thing. I'm not a monster. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. what happened, I think he fell off that third floor, the windows open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death, because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. For most
0: Americans, Hooler burst onto the scene with the 2016 comedy-drama Tony Erdman, which was nominated for the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. Hooler's performance as the put-upon daughter of a prankster father earned rave reviews. Friday's Janelle Riley recently spoke with Hooler about both of her films, but they began with Riley asking her whether Hollywood came calling after the success of Tony Erdman.
1: No, not really. Really? No, no. I had some meetings but nothing really came from it, no. Really? Did the yeah. meetings
2: not go well or <laughs>
1: Yes they did. I mean yeah. for other people to tell. For me, yes, yeah. they went well. Yeah, but yeah, no, nothing happened
2: really. Were you interested in, in coming to America and doing
1: some of our movies? Yes, of course. Yeah. But uh it would always be a question of yeah, leaving my family behind and all these things. So it's not so easy. I didn't say yes, of course, right now. Yeah. I said yeah, I will consider it, of course. Well, I mean, the good news
2: is you have two amazing movies out this year with Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest, and they're both striking such a chord with people. I, I feel like these are the kind of movies that people really want to come up and talk about.
1: Yeah, I feel that too. We have a lot of reactions of yeah. all sorts, very personal sometimes with the Zone of Interest. It's also family history that is mm. shared with us. And uh, with Anatomy Fall, it's very private stories of relationships. Wow. And, yeah
2: uh with zone of interest i believe i heard that you sort of were always going to shy away from stories about the holocaust
1: yes i did because especially uh from the from the fascist side because i didn't really understand why they should be portrayed over and over again um, because there is this sort of cruelty in it that you just can't take away and it does something to you and your body. Mm. Um, this sort of re, reenactment of a uh, certain behavior that I didn't understand why it should be done. And Jonathan found a way to, to do it in a way that I can't really explain it, that puts it to another level. And it's a sort of spiritual thing. I can't really explain it. Did you know sort of what it was about when you went to meet on it? When I went to meet on it, I knew what it was about. But when I got sent the two pages of a couple fighting, I didn't know who it was, and I didn't know who would do it. So it was kind of a big secret. We sometimes have that in Germany when people come from other countries, that there is a big secret about the the details. So I had to wait a little. Keep yeah. Keep the script hidden? They keep the script point. hidden. They keep the director hidden for a long time. And you normally only do Zoom castings. You don't meet anybody until a certain point. I mean, is that unnerving? Because it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like, in the mystery director is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit strange because we don't have that at home. Uh, we meet all the time. So because it's a very small industry, of course, that's also the thing.
2: Why do you think they do that?
1: Seriously, I have no idea. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like people want to make it more thrilling or something, but there is no use. So I I really don't know.
2: The process of booking a role is already pretty thrilling. Mm -hmm. I don't think they need to add a competitive aspect to it. Yeah.
1: I think in this case, the story was so important to Jonathan. Mm. um, Yeah, that he just, yeah, I don't know why. Maybe it was a decision of the casting director. I don't know. Simone Bear, who's not with us anymore. But um, yeah, I don't know. Did
2: you tell him sort of your concerns about doing a film set in the Holocaust? Or at that point, had you did you, you sort of knew that it would be different?
1: Yeah, I did that right away. And he understood completely because he had the same feeling. Yeah. So we kind of understood each other from the first moment on considering this topic. And he explained to me what he wanted to do with it. And that made me feel really safe. But it took a lot of time to... To trust this process mm-hmm. uh, because it is a very dangerous thing to do. And I remember a conversation with one of the producers when we were already in Poland where he said, you're very brave to do that. And I got a bit angry and I said, it's not about me being brave. It's about you protecting us. That's your job. That's yep. what you have to do. And I felt like that from the beginning to the end.
2: In my experience, this film has been so heralded and, and well-received, but do, do you find there are people who respond you know, sort of
1: viscerally or negatively to it? Normally, people who don't like the films don't come yeah. to you and talk to you. <laughs> that's a pity, because that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, and sometimes there are misunderstandings that you could easily uh, get rid of. But... Mm-hmm. Um, No, I didn't have... Some people try to rationalize it in a way. Uh, Somebody told me that it's impossible that this this amount of flowers would grow in this beauty uh, because of all the ashes that would come to the garden. So people are trying to find... Like the mistake in it, or try really? to find the yeah to so discount the, it. Yeah, sort of? yeah oh, that's, yeah, that's so really interesting. interesting. Yeah, I think so too.
2: Uh, how? What was it like shooting the film, though? Because even though we the film makes a point not to show us, you know, any uh, blatant atrocities, um, that's a hard headspace to be in. To be this uncaring and cold
1: for Hit Wichers. Yeah. Um, no, I always made um a difference between my experience as an actor, which was not so difficult, I have to say, because I didn't have to produce any sort of feeling or emotion for that person. Um It was just some sort of real physical embodiment. Uh, it was not so much empathy involved. And my experience as a human being, being in that place with that team, Uh, at that time, that was a completely different experience from the acting. So they kind of belong to each other, but they're different from each other. And how do you prepare to play a character like that? The most important preparation was the, were all the conversation with Jonathan. Um, the, that he explained to us what he wants to do, the great transparency that he gave us. That he he gave us he made sure that we would not feel manipulated at any point because that would be something to do easily mm-hmm. with such a setup with ten cameras where you don't know what's going on ten cameras, yeah, there wow. were ten cameras around the house and outside of the house, and most of the time all of them were running um, so yeah it's kind of a it's very scary to be in that setup, but he took care of everything and he answered every question that we had he took time whenever it was needed and uh, we did a lot of rehearsals for the lines with Christian Friedel who plays Rudolf um, so this was kind of the preparation. The normal preparation you do if you would do a biopic which we didn't do would be different. Mm-hmm. I would learn much more about the woman and about the time that she lived in and I didn't do that. There were certain facts that were important to me one is that she was in the camp. She knew what was going on, although she stated later that she didn't know anything. She lied, like so many, and um, that she, I think, until her death, didn't think anything was wrong. And the other thing is that they were farmers, and they wanted to be farmers again when the war was over. So it kind of told me something about the overall, uh, yeah, I don't know, the the Because I come from a family of farmers, so this was sort of relatable, the sort of body work that you would do every day. Really important question.
2: Is your own dog featured in the movie? Yeah. It is your dog. Okay. Because I saw that you have, I always butcher saying this, but Weinermauer? Weimarana. By Weimarana, By yes. okay. There's a woman on Instagram who has four Dalmatians and a Rainer oh, yeah. of our, and, yeah. I, and I'm just like, she has four Dalmatians and another dog because I can never <laughs> say it correctly. <laughs> and I'm obsessed. The, the, did you get cut some sort of a deal for
1: them? Are you, you know, do you get 20% of what the dog makes? <laughs> No, she didn't get anything. I also gave her my her own food all the time. No, there was a casting for her. She didn't just get the role because she was my dog. So she had to work for it. There were other dogs in the casting, and oh, she well. finally made it because she's not trainable. Yeah, she's just around, and I think that what Jonathan, that's what Jonathan wanted that mm-hmm. she just reacts to me and she wants to be with me all the time.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so are you a stage mother now? Or are you going to try and cast her in no <laughs> more films? From here on out.
1: Honestly, I think it was very stressful for her. Really? And I'm really glad that she joined, but I think I will not do it again. Yeah.
2: No. But it must have been nice for you to yeah, be able to have me. the dog
1: around. Yeah. Yeah, she was very important for me. Oh. I don't know if she knows. Maybe I should tell her. Yeah, but she <laughs> was, it was very important to have at least one friend in this. Yeah. Uh
2: so moving on to uh, anatomy of a fall. Um now I I know that the point of the movie is not Did she do it or did she not? But I'm curious for yourself as an actor, did you have to make up your mind to play the character, whether or not she was guilty?
1: In the beginning, I didn't think so Mm -hmm. because um, I wanted to play somebody who I believe and no matter what the truth is. And I found the the fights that she has to fight, the battles that she has to fight in this film, um, I wanted her to win those because I... I liked her so much from the beginning because I loved her her independence and her unapologetic way of dealing with life and just leaving the problems to the people where they belong and um but shortly before we started shooting I felt like maybe I'm on the wrong path so I asked Justine if she could tell me if I'm on the right path and if she's innocent or not and she didn't answer the questions so I had to deal with that truth, too. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that it's not important to me. I think I wanted to create somebody who would be capable of doing it. I wanted certain people to be a little bit afraid of her. Um, because why not? Uh, because why do we always have to be sweet mm-hmm. and good victims and all these things? So I had a little fun in leaving it in the dark.
2: So you never made up your mind one way or the other?
1: No. No. Sometimes I wake up at night and think, oh, oh, I missed something. Well, maybe she did it. I, yeah, but I don't know, no.
2: This is a movie also where I know people have very passionate opinions about, do they come up and tell you, you did it, right?
1: Right? <laughs> they do this. Yeah. They have theories about the boy also interesting um, yeah and they have theories about him becoming a writer in the moment where he's making up the story with the father because some people think it's made up which is possible we don't know and what kind of an act of love would it be to become like a partly like the mother Mm -hmm. in that moment and it doesn't necessarily mean that he that he that she did it just because he defends her right. and he lies for her so all these levels of what could be what could not be some people say that and just in the moment <clears throat> in the last scene when she goes to the room of Samuel Sandra realizes how alone she is from now on there was no space before mm-hmm. that and also that she's alone with her talent that she can never find anybody who could like live in this space uh so there are yeah a lot of a lot of pictures from people's heads coming to us, yeah. have
2: there been some really crazy theories? Like I do have a friend who thinks the son did it.
1: Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard it too, just to free himself of the father, yeah, yeah, but he definitely wasn't there, so yeah, and he was also so devastated.
2: Yeah, I think. It
1: was. I think. Yes. Yes, I think
2: yeah. You can see it. Yeah. <laughs> did that script come to you? Did you get to read the full script before signing on to the project and everything? So it was more traditional. Yeah. In this one. case
1: I was lucky because we knew each other before and she sent it directly to me.
2: And is this another case where, you know, this this character is going through a lot? Did you did you I don't know if you take your characters home with you or you're able to leave them at the end of the day, but you know, was it was
1: it challenging? I think the tension of playing someone like that and with this story stays all the time. Mm. So it's sometimes hard to sleep, but it's kind of a body thing. It's a physical thing, not so much the mind. And of course, after a day is over, we go through lines like everybody does that for the next day, especially if another language is involved. Mm. So I think it was there all the time, but I don't think or I don't feel like I am with the character all the time. I don't believe in this sort of technique.
2: Uh, I just want to point out that this movie also has a great dog. Yeah. I don't know if your dog was up for that part. No. No. <laughs> it's a one and done with, with, with the dog acting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, yes. <laughs> it's funny. They say there's this the uh, silly expression out here, never work with children or animals. I know. Yeah. And the movie has both.
1: Yeah. It has great. both. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it works. But also because this dog uh, who plays Snoop. Um, oh, no, I forgot his real name. He's so wonderful. Messy. Um, He's a very trainable dog. He's a very, he he knows what he can do. And uh, my dog doesn't. She just, (laughs) she's just there. So she could never have been, I'm sorry, my darling, but she could never have been capable of doing these things.
2: Yeah, I have the same situation. I have a dog who, one, hates the camera, runs away when they see a phone or a camera, and two, just, just will not follow orders. So no no stage career for this guy. Yeah, and why why <laughs> why should they? I mean, yeah,
1: exactly that's, they're
2: animals. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he should sleep ninety percent of the day and eat. That's what dogs exactly. are meant to do.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: in general, what draws you to a project is it the script or the filmmaker or the other actors or some combination of all of the above?
1: Sometimes it's just one of the things you mentioned. Sometimes it's all of it. Sometimes it's really just the story that I want to be a part of. Um but I really like to meet directors beforehand because I think casting is not just something where somebody decides if I want can be a part of it but it's the other way around. I learned it from Maren Ada. She always told me it's it's the moment where people decide if they want to sp- spend 8 weeks or more uh together like in the mo- sometimes the most complicated circumstances so we really have to meet before.
2: Uh, Someone was saying this yesterday that a very well-known actor was saying he doesn't mind auditioning because he's also auditioning the director to some degree. Yeah, I feel the same. Uh, Are there (laughs) specific questions you want to ask a director when you're getting to know them or it probably varies
1: from person to person? I I made the experience that you can ask whatever you like, you will not find out how they will be on set. So it's more of a you really have to kind of feel it if it's working or not, if you can trust the person.
2: That's 100% what I was thinking, because you can, th- you can ask all the right things, you can think you got a good vibe, and then you really don't know until you get there.
1: And you see the points very early, but mm-hmm. sometimes you, you tend to, yeah. to put them away.
2: It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, I know. yeah actors are very good at denial in that way. Mm. <laughs> I'm curious, going back, was there a moment you sort of knew you wanted to be an actor?
1: Yeah, I started very early in school, uh, when my English and German teacher opened a drama club and she said it could be something for me. And she was right. I had never done anything before that made me feel so, I don't know. Yeah, just to say to, that I felt alive. It's so cheesy, but it is that way. It, it, it felt very energetic and I felt that I could express feelings that I had no other space for. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a family who's not artistic at all so they were they are educating people they are teachers uh, which is a great job but you know there is no way of dealing with big feelings and I had a lot of them so it was a way of yeah putting it into the right place and uh, I did a lot of workshops after school and soon after school I felt um, that it c- yeah it could be something for me and I should try and I applied for drama school and then it worked.
2: And how did this family of teachers and academics feel about you going into acting?
1: They were a bit frightened. Sure. Yeah, uh, of course. And they wanted me to do a real job like everybody does. But uh, in the end, they were very supportive. They brought me to the castings and to, yeah, to the auditions for the drama school. And yeah, and since then, they're um, right by my side helping me is did did
2: did your drama school teach sort of a specific method or or theory of acting or is it sort of per person
1: i think they did <laughs> <laughs> i think they did i think it's sort of Stanislavski. yeah but i never read any of those theories i always put the books away yeah. i just wanted to play and um yeah, I think it's the Stanislavski thing. So it was very technical. It had a, it was very physical, also, and a lot with thought, not so much with feeling. Uh, I learned that the feeling comes much later than the thought. Mm. If the thought is sharp enough, the feeling will follow. Um, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, yeah. So it was a very technical education.
2: What do you sort of consider? And I know the term "big break" is really a misnomer because it tends to be a series of small breaks along the way. But there was was there sort of a moment where you you felt that like you had made the right choice and you, this was going to work out.
1: Being an actor, yeah. Mm yeah from the beginning, because I started in small theaters. I started in Jena, it's a very, very small town in Thuringia in Germany. I would have had the opportunity to work in Berlin right away, but I decided to go to a small place because I felt it's maybe better to do the first steps like un unseen mm-hmm. like uh, not in the public eye, and I think it was the right decision, and from that point it like gradually grew bigger and bigger um yeah, so I, I I never I never looked for that feeling. It wasn't. I didn't urge for. There was no. Yeah, I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to work, and I think that's kind of the way everything went to that point where I am today, sitting here with you. Because I never aimed for anything. I just did the work, and then other things came from it.
2: Was the plan to sort of, did you think it was just going to be theater, or did you always yeah. want to do film and TV?
1: No, I oh, thought wow. it was only theater. So how did
2: you get roped into being a movie star?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> a movie star, okay. I have to <laughs> write it in my diary. She said a movie star. Um, uh, I, I got the first recognition on theater in 2003, I guess, there was a, there is a, a magazine in Germany, who, um, which, uh, honors theater actors and directors and, uh, they have an annual book they bring out and I was in it as the, um, I don't know what Nachwuchs means, like the young actors. When whatever. to watch, sort of. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And some agencies called after and asked if I wanted to do film. And most of them wanted to have material right away, which I didn't have because I only played theater. And my agent until today, uh, she said, we're going to figure it out all together. And we did. So we took some material from the theater productions that I found somewhere in the archives. And I think the offer or the casting offer from Hans Christian Schmidt for Requiem came a few weeks later. So it was very fast. Mm-hmm. And I went to my first film casting, and I got the role, and then it went on and on and on.
2: That was your first film audition, and you booked it? Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was really, really exciting, yeah.
2: I don't know if you've done any auditioning in the States, but uh, it's a very strange process. I I can't think of another way to do it, but it's just, uh, what is it like where you're from?
1: Um, like, really? You yeah. really want to know? Yeah. You go, you get a script, in, in, if it's ideal, you get yeah. a script and you know who will direct. And you go to the place where you do the casting. It's a studio from a casting director, which is sometimes very cozy. It has a, like, a nice kitchen. And, oh, really? Yeah. It's really a, sometimes it's also where people live, like downstairs or whatever. Really? Yeah. I it's love very, that. Yeah. It's very personal. And then you meet your partners and you do scenes. And um, then you leave and maybe they call you.
2: And And sometimes
1: you have to come back. Uh, Yeah.
2: Do you usually read with other actors? Okay, okay. When you said cozy and personal, I was just thinking, like, from from what's been described to me, that's that's not what it's like here at all. (laughs) It's very, um, I don't want to say cold, you know. and, And all casting directors are different. And I know that they're all trying to create a warm atmosphere, I believe. But, like, people describe it as kind of... a a really rough experience and so Ah, i love hearing that this is like really really personal and just someone's home sometimes
1: yeah sometimes it's people's home with their office in it yeah oh
2: that's amazing Mm -hmm. um do you have any tips or advice in the audition room to offer actors because it is a very different skill than acting sometimes
1: Oh, I hate giving advice. It always feels so, yeah, it feels <laughs> yeah. so pretentious. But, well, what's worked for you? Let me ask um, you that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always very excited, so I don't know if I'm yeah. a good advisor. Um, I don't know. Just n- don't try to achieve anything. I think that's it. And also like, take into account that you are meeting somebody that you have to find out if you want to be with that person. Mm-hmm. So observe them. I think that's important.
0: That's Sandra Hüller, star of Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest. After the break, we talk to BlackBerry star Glenn Howerton. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider. Director Matt Johnson, along with co-screenwriter Matthew Miller, adapted Jackie McNish and Sean Silkoff's book, Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of BlackBerry for the big screen. In BlackBerry... Johnson plays BlackBerry co-founder Douglas Fragan, alongside Glenn Howerton as chair and co-CEO Jim Balsili. Jay Baruchel and Kerry Elwes also star in the film. In his Variety Review, Peter Bruges called It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia star Howerton the MVP in an all-around terrific ensemble. Howerton delivers the kind of performance that can make a career or force audiences to totally reconsider an actor's potential, he wrote. Variety's Clayton Davis spoke to Howerton about BlackBerry and, of course, the legacy of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They began by discussing how Howerton got involved with BlackBerry.
3: In the most conventional possible way, uh, I got uh, sent a script and an offer from my agent and my manager. Just it, like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because this, the impact that this film has had on my career has been uh, so much more so than any of the other films that I've done, certainly uh a lot of which actually came my way directly through friends or acquaintances or people in the business who you know I've I've worked with a lot of my friends a lot of people that that, that I know uh just because I like working with my friends just yeah. I'm drawn to it um so this is this was yeah this came at me the most conventional possible way through it, through the normal channels and what was
4: it that you like i mean it's always weird to ask but do you get like a lot of scripts sent to you sometimes that you're just like i can't even get through this kind of thing or
3: or did it catch you immediately um uh, this this script was phenomenal mm. um and you know I, I i think i get sent i think like a lot of actors you get a little bit pigeonholed or people see you as the one thing yeah that you do and and certainly there were aspects of this performance in blackberry that I, I think you can see some of the lineage between some of the things I've done in the past. And this, you can see the, the evolution, you can see where it fits in. Uh, but it was enough of a departure that it was exciting to me. Whereas I think I get, you know, I, I often get sent like, uh, you know, the asshole in a, in a comedy mm-hmm. type roles. And, and I'm, and I'm really uninterested yeah. in that. Look, um, I'm not an asshole guys. I want to play something rich and dynamic. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and and I think having again with comedy in particular, having played a sort of a narcissistic uh e- egotistical dude on TV for fifteen years, I, I it's not it's not really a role that I'm that interested in in continuing to play over and over again. I mean, unless it's just extraordinarily well written. Yeah. Um or a, a, a variation of that, which is is what BlackBerry was, yeah. kind of, kind of, kind yeah. of. But it was different enough that I feel like I was – I felt like I was sinking my teeth into something different.
4: Mm. So when you're on – when you get put into this movie and you're really like just exploring a lot of uh, the, the nuances of it – because I think, I think that – I think what people want to do is compare it to the social network. It's like the mm. most natural kind sure. of thing to go to, mm-hmm. but it, it it frames it in a much different, more dynamic way where it is showing the evolution of characters and not so much the invention mm-hmm. and and that and that I think is it's what uh, is interesting. Did you feel that on set when you were shooting, or did you find it more?
3: Oh yeah, about the product. Yeah. No, the actual. Um Rise and fall of the company is really just a, a vehicle uh, to tell the story of some very dynamic characters at a very crucial moment in their lives, uh, which is what all great drama really does, but I think part of what makes this film feel special to me and I think what i think i'm you know this is just my theory i can 't see it objectively, obviously, but I think what people maybe are responding to is that is it's really interesting hybrid of a thriller and a comedy mm-hmm. um and I think in some ways the sh- social network felt that way too. Yeah, it was like v- really, really tense, but also kind of funny. and, yeah. and, and the characters were strange and, and
4: tragic and, uh, and, and tragic. All all. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I, I think that's maybe why that comparison exists. But uh, but um, I, I I it strikes a very interesting tone, and I think that Matt, having his background being mostly in comedy. Jay's background being mostly in comedy, yeah. my background being mostly in comedy, uh, and then thrusting ourselves into a quote unquote drama, yeah. knowing that what I what I personally find f- the most funny, I- even in comedy, is is characters with a really extreme point of view who are willing to do ridiculous things in order to achieve their goals, mm. uh, and that's what makes it funny more so than jokes. You know, there's no, there's not really any jokes in this yeah, movie. No. <laughs> and yet it's it's funny in the way that uh It's uncomfortable humor. It's uncomfortable humor. Yeah. Like you're
4: laughing cuz you're like ah, I kind of like you it's one of those when someone makes a really uh, inappropriate joke you laugh but you're like I kind of want to leave but it is funny ah. to retell the story of like can you believe what the hell that dude said? It's like, release a, valve yeah funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well I like I like the term. I'll yeah. Do it for, for. Yeah. Um <laughs> look, look, looking through your your career it's been long and great and you know people love you. Um, what has been the journey to step into a full-on dramatic role? Because I thoroughly believe comedians are our best dramatic actors that are not given enough drama to do. That's why I think some of the best performances in history are from comedians. And I think of like Jim Carrey and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, that really like. And maybe it's a little bit of the surprising factor because we only see them as you know talking out of their butts one second, but <laughs> and then then they come out with something heartbreaking the next. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, what's been that journey like for you?
3: Well, I. I never set out to, to be a comedian. Um, I, don't, I don't really even consider myself a comedian. Um, I don't know. When I think of comedians, I think of stand-ups. Mm. Uh, but I guess somebody who does a lot of comedy could be considered sure. a comedian. So I, I, I have a lot of respect for the world of comedy. I think it's an extraordinary craft. And when somebody does it really, really well, there's almost nothing more impressive. Yep. Um, but I think I always had uh, – I was always drawn to it. Um, always a little bit class clowny, uh, always drawn to funny people and <laughs> people with a, with a wild and strange sense of humor. The ones that get you into trouble. Those are the good ones. But then st- mostly did and studied dramatic acting um, with the occasional comedy sprinkled in. So uh, my background is weirdly – like my approach to comedy is from a purely dramatic perspective point of view yeah. um you know I, I, some of my favorite comedic performances really are come from actors who you can barely even tell that they're that they know they're in a comedy yeah you know i mean i would put alec baldwin in that category he yeah. just, the difference between a dramatic alec baldwin performance and a comedic alec baldwin performance is just one little notch on the dial yeah. and even say take his performance in glengarry glenn ross which is a totally dramatic performance mm. is hilarious because his character is so ridiculous and so extreme yeah. and so rude and so brutally honest in a way that just is, is uncomfortable for yeah. it's, its release valve funny. Um, so um, I guess because my approach always, my approach is really not that different. Yeah. You know, look, I, I, I think I have certain opinions and feelings about the, the musicality Mm. Of comedy and mm-hmm. how that can be a differentiating factor between sure. a comedic performance and a dramatic performance, that's just something that that you can feel. Um, most acting, to me, is kind of musical. Yep. I, I, I see it musically, <laughs> I feel it musically, whether it's a dramatic performance or a comedic one. But I think um, a very specific. Uh, musicality to a comedic performance can enhance the comedy aspects of it a little bit and and be that thing that dials it up.
4: That's beautifully said, especially since you don't play the guitar as you just shared. But you, I, they, do they, actually, but you, I do actually, I do play the guitar. Oh, you do?
3: Oh, okay. I, I do. I'm just not good at it. You're just not? Oh, okay.
4: So you're just one of those that bought a guitar and then you can do a few notes? I can do some stuff, yeah. I always hear that uh, Blink 182 is the easiest stuff to play on the guitar, and someone told me <laughs> I can learn that. And then I said, no. <laughs> I, like, I want to learn to play, like, you know. I'm going to do Slash. Yeah, most people
3: are pl- like learning by playing Beatles songs. Yeah, and right. You, you don't want to be that guy that's like, I learned by playing a bunch of think, 182 I songs. I learned Let It Be, guys. It's great.
4: Um, <laughs> so looking at uh, something in in BlackBerry and the scene, uh, Waterloo, where the vampires live, mm-hmm. um, where you're, in a better term, losing your shit in, the, in that scene, yeah. uh, how did you prep for that and <laughs> determine that you were going to go so hard? In that scene.
3: That was a line that was a line that I had many conversations with Matt Johnson about because I didn't understand it. I still don't really understand it, if mm. I'm honest. Um, but – and, and I, I toyed with the idea of fighting for it to be cut because I thought it was going to sound ridiculous. And I thought I was going to feel ridiculous. But then we got there on the day to shoot that scene and I thought, well, he's not going to use it if it's not good. So I'll just see what happens in that moment Mm -hmm. and how it comes out and how it came out on the very first take was this explosive. And I think it was because in that moment, it, well, first of all, it was building to that, but I think there's this almost, you know, I mean, he, he was so in the red, it's the one point in the movie – I think his – I think Jim Balsall – the way I played Jim yeah. was that his greatest fear was that people would call him out or that, he, that someone would expose him as not being the smartest guy in the room mm. or the most powerful guy in the room yeah. or the most influential guy in the room. This is his greatest fear. And I think a lot of what he projects in the film is that level of confidence as an overcompensation for maybe a slight bit of doubt about about himself. Mm. Again, these are all just you know actor kind of things that were underneath my performance but um it was just interesting yeah. that
4: you say that because I thought of two when you said that it like literally like if one of those like the dust just cleared and I saw it, I was thinking so much of two performances when I was watching you. one was Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. and the other was Jude Law and i Heart Huckabees and it's and they both had this underlying fear of not being the smartest or the most interesting person. In the room, or not just getting the credit they they think they deserve. And I I was reminded of that in like very strange ways. And as you explained it, it kind of felt like. Yeah, I I mean,
3: I think, well, first of all, I just found it to be an interesting thing to play. I don't know if the real Jim Balsley felt that way Mm -hmm. in the day, but, uh, you know, back in the day, but it felt right to me. A, it's an interesting thing to have underneath the performance. I think it helped kind of fuel certainly the moments of rage and petulance because, again, there were certain things that informed that decision. Like, for instance, him almost becoming the CEO of his old company and then getting fired by making a, an extremely bold decision yep. um, and an arguably unethical one, but one that that actually closed the deal. Um, I can't remember if that actually made it in the movie, but in it, some of the stuff that we shot, you know, was a conversation between me and my old boss where I say – where he basically fires me and I'm like, but it worked. Mm. We got the deal. Yeah, Like we, I closed it. I closed it. And, it, and he was just like, yeah, but you, you know. So, so um, I think that he feels very strongly that he could run that company and that he, and he wanted to run the company. And then when given the opportunity at BlackBerry to be the CEO of the company, of course your greatest fear is going to be that you you you've you've been fighting for this kind of a thing your entire career mm-hmm. what if you're wrong you know what I mean what if I'm wrong what if I can't do it what if I blow it yeah. you know because then and that's the scariest thing about taking your shot really taking your shot it was the scariest thing for me about taking my shot in this movie
4: yeah
3: um when I when I was prepping for this I, but I it's 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 tempting to to either play it safe or you know, because then if you if you fail for some reason you can go, Oh, I didn't even that wasn't even like me out of ten. That was yeah. me. I was like kinda ha- half assing it a little bit. Yeah. And that's why it didn't go well. But if you really swing for the fences and you miss then that's that's scary. That can really be a blow to your sense of self where you're like, Wow, you could question everything, maybe you know, maybe i maybe I shouldn't be the lead mm. of a movie the way i the way I'd been fighting for for a long time yeah. you know um but you just can't do that you can't do that you gotta you just gotta swing for the fences, so I could relate to jim in mm. that in that sense but um I forgot your original question I just went on and uh, long- I mean, it
4: was it was about life and no it was about, <laughs> uh, about uh that the waterloo scene
3: and oh, yeah. which, yeah. which
4: which is encompassing what you we're talking
3: about. Yeah. So, so that was the other thing that informed that, that insecurity in that moment when he is actually exposed. Yeah. He, his, his defense mechanism is to get extremely angry and petulant almost. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, he almost, it, it made sense to me suddenly that he would say this nonsensical thing. He's almost out of his mind. in that Yeah. Well,
4: oh, God, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, in in looking uh, th- throughout your career and i'm I'm always fascinated with like how people got here like how did you end up in a chair across from me mm. uh but do you remember like the movie t v show that kind of did it for you growing up that you said i wanna oh, I wanna wow. do this do you, can you recall some of that
3: no you know um here I can give you a couple of things one uh I remember when I was a kid there was a show called the fall guy um which I guess Ryan Gosling is now doing a yeah, movie version of that, that other handsome d- oh, guy. Yeah. But you know what he deserves? He's so talented. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I loved that show and, and I thought I wanted to be a stunt man because I was a really, really physical kid. Um, you know, I was climbing trees and yeah. jumping my, jumping my, uh, BMX off of weird jumps and doing crazy shit. Um, so I thought, I thought that looked fun. The yeah. stunt man. Um, so that was kind of the first time I had a thought of being in the entertainment business. And then and then I found that I would go see – my. our parents were good. They would take us to go see theater and dance and musical performances and things. And I was, even as a little kid, really drawn to Shakespeare. Mm. Um, we would go see classical plays. We were living in England when I was a kid for, for like four years. And uh, we would go see plays at Stratford-upon-Avon. And we would go see Shakespeare. And I remember thinking – Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. But of course, at the time, I thought probably everybody in the audience wants to. Do that. Yeah. And then, of course, that's not true. No. Which is most we, which don't.
4: is weird sometimes, right? <laughs> like you like everyone wants to be an actor. Everyone wants to be a movie star, right. or, be on, or be or be on stage. And you're like, no, actually,
3: nope. there's people that would rather die. No. Than do that. And especially not, um, you know, performing classical text, mm, uh, yeah. for a for a six or seven year old kid to be drawn to classical text in the way that I was, I think might be a little bit strange. (laughs) If there
4: there was a Shakespeare adaptation movie, I'm sure there's been like, obviously there's been like pretty much all his plays, but is there a role that you would love to play in the film version of? If it, uh, I mean,
3: you know, look, I, I, this is, this is maybe super cliche, Mm -hmm. but I, I always wanted to play Hamlet. Because I I feel like I have a different take on it. Yeah, I feel like I have a different take on it, and, a, and it's a take that I have not really fully seen. And um, I might be getting a little too old now. No, um, I, that,
4: you could still do. I mean, listen, Arch Nemesis Kenneth Branagh, we can outdo him. You know, yeah, can, how, you,
3: how old was Branagh? when he. Was, uh, like? he yeah, I mean, he that was like in he 80. was in his late
4: thirties, I think. Yeah, Well, one. No, I think he, yeah, he actually when Hamlet's like ninety six, so yeah. However, he was twenty five years ago, So right. Yeah, he probably was in his thirties. Um, yeah, and then Henry V Fifth was yeah, because Henry V was. Like Henry the Fifth, I think
3: he was either twenty
0: nine. Yeah, it was or or like his
4: first one of his first things. Extraordinary, uh,
0: yeah,
3: absolutely he was so extraordinary. good in that. Just this young Shakespearean, classically trained uh, theater actor oh. suddenly directing all of his heroes. And, in A film that he started and doing him well, like you know, he, really doesn't, he, well. doesn't,
4: he doesn't really miss, which is interesting. Yeah, um, I've been wondering about the directing bug in you, like if there's been any yearn to get into a big full
3: length, big budget mm-hmm. feature or anything like that. As a director, as a director, I've explored it. Um, I've I've directed some television. Yeah, uh, directed a couple episodes of It's Always Sunny. Directed an episode of AP Bio. Um, because I thought. These are my shows, so I can I can, can do we- weasel my way into a directing <laughs> position here. Yeah, because <laughs> um, I wanted to try it. I wanted to see if it was something that that excited me. And you know, I, I, I won't say that it's never going to. I mean, you know, hopefully, I'll have many more phases to my career, and yeah. and I'll continue to evolve as an artist, and things will be will continue to surprise me, even about myself or my own urges and what I want to do. But up to this point. The truth is I have so much respect for the craft of directing and I really don't know that much about it. Mm. And for as much as I like the idea of directing something, I am motivated to act. Mm. That is the thing that that gets me excited, more excited than anything, certainly more than writing more than producing more than directing. It's like, there's nothing that, that flips that switch in my soul. Like acting. Um,
4: I'm glad that you recognize that also because some people, I think, without naming names, I think there are people who do it for the vanity of it. And especially when they cast themselves, sometimes they just, you're like, kind of, why do you need to direct this? And why do you need to star in this? Sometimes it's either or. And I guess, obviously, Kenneth Branagh works. Like, it works for him. Yeah. And there's been a lot of great successes, but then there's a lot of others that you look at and you're like, yeah, you probably just shouldn't be in this. Right. Or you shouldn't have directed this. Seems like not a real strong, compelling reason of why. Right,
3: right. Yeah, I think um, I think that's part of what it is, is I, I don't want to do it just – I don't want to do it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I want to do it because suddenly I read a script and I go, oh, I see this. I'm Something. The, I would need to – feel. so I have read scripts before where I'm like, I – I'm the best person to play this role. Mm. I may not get cast in it, but I know I am the best person for this role. Uh, I actually remember saying that to Matt Johnson when we first met. I was like, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. Mm. However, when I read it, I know I'm the best person to play mm. this role. But, but what I don't know is why you think that. <laughs> ah, a little reverse he kind interview. Of explained <laughs> it he kind of explained it to me but um but I would want to feel that way about a movie before I directed it or yeah it would have to
4: like really just like knock
3: yourself out. you're like I gotta do this yeah I would have so to evolving. feel like this I, I am the only person who can direct this uh
4: I have to I have to ask a question that the fans want and want to ask him ask you about Dennis Reynolds, yeah, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia uh how such a weird question how much longer do you think this is going on like i love that it's still on tv and it's like it's it's just like kind of the one one of those things that you blink and you're like it's been on since 2005 right like it's like kind of you know the great anatomy of, of comedy series <laughs> i love it so much you know like yeah. how, how much longer like do you think that the batteries are just like it's it's a lifetime battery
3: um, I mean, we just kind of take it year by year, moment to moment. Um, I don't know that I've ever said this in public before, but I like the idea of doing what Larry David does and just never really ending it. Mm. And maybe there's a year it goes maybe, by. Maybe, maybe we take a hiatus. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe two years goes by and then maybe we do another one. I don't know, but – the, the one undeniable thing is that the three of us, me, Rob, and Charlie, and I only mention the three of us and not Danny and Caitlin because they don't write on the show, mm-hmm. but we we love creating stuff together. We love doing things together, but we also have so many disparate interests. Mm-hmm. You know, McElhenney obviously yeah. has a lot of varied interests. <laughs> Charlie and I are a little bit more simpatico insofar as we, we, we both really just want to be actors. Yeah. Um, but he's also a tremendously talented writer. Um, so – I think the desire is still there for us to get in a room together and create. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I guess if, the, if that was like dying, then
4: obviously then you would see the end. But
3: you guys are having yeah, great time doing it still. The challenging thing at this point, honestly, is not even coming up with stories. It's coming up with a char- the character's take on something mm-hmm. that we haven't done a million times. So when you, you can't just obviously reinvent and com- completely change a character. Yeah. Uh, because then you're not playing the character. It's not consistent with what you've been playing for the last twenty years. See, but but you also don't want to do the same thing. You don't also, also don't want to just repeat yourself over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So then you're you, you're kind of hemmed in, right? You can't re- reinvent the character unless there's a specific reason why the yeah. character is reinventing himself. You know, but you also don't want to repeat yourself. So it's it becomes that becomes more and more challenging. That's the most challenging thing. Like you can't imagine writing on The Simpsons still and having to think about that. Like
4: still today. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I don't know how they do it. (laughs) Um, I have a fun question tied to Sonny and I'm sure you you might've heard this before. I just think it's hilarious. Um, there's a clip of you on a panel with, uh, Rob. Okay. Uh, where he starts to, it went viral where he starts to talk about Ryan Reynolds and you have a face that looks so actively like, Oh, people trying to walk in on our stuff. Take that question again. um, There's a clip of you and uh, Rob on a a sunny panel Mm -hmm. in which he brings up Brian Reynolds. And the clip went viral. I guess they just caught you at the moment that you look so annoyed in the moment. Uh. It, like, went viral everywhere. So I have to ask you, do you you feel like, you know— He's not appreciating your friendship because you feel like you're jockeying for your BFF's uh, <laughs> attention because he keeps bringing up this other dude that he's making some soccer stuff with. And... Yeah,
3: I'd have to see the. I'd have to see the clip. Oh, because it's a, do it you it have up. it? Can I see? Because it? it's, it's entirely it possible that I was, I was, that was me pulling a face to be funny. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah I don't. Think it, I don't think it was. But maybe act. not. No, maybe I, mean, maybe I was genuinely maybe, annoyed. Maybe. I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, if you can find it, I'm just curious. it. I'll be able to tell you, and if and if I was genuinely disgusted for some reason <laughs> in that moment, I will admit it. I'll fess up.
4: See sunny panel, uh, but but talk about while I looked at this, your 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 friendship with Rob, how how's that like been? You well, know? It's,
3: you know, it's interesting. I mean, it's been it, it's been the uh, the same. I mean, he he hasn't. Uh, our friendship hasn't changed uh for a very long time. We're still friends in the same way that we've we've always been friends, but uh uh he's just extremely busy and doing a lot of things uh outside of even the entertainment business just with like his F1 racing team and his multiple soccer teams that he owns. I don't even know what he's I don't <laughs> even know doing. what he's doing half the time. <laughs> Seriously. Um we did launch a whiskey company together, and mm-hmm. that's been really, really fun, so we've been doing stuff for that and maybe this I remember we did a panel about the whiskey the other day, and this might have actually been for that but um this thing that because I remember making a joke about it when he brought up Ryan Reynolds on that panel yeah. uh, but that was only a couple days ago but uh but no look i mean and i don't i don't really know uh ryan but uh but I, he he seems like an awesome dude um so i got I got no problem with it.
4: Uh, I have someone trying to pull it up, uh, as we, uh, okay. <laughs> but it was actually just a funny quote because it, it went everywhere and now it's funny. again. Really? I'm it. having, I gotta yeah, say it this. was, it, it was very just like, cause it just the way the camera just panned. You were just like, <laughs> like, like, it just, it, like, it was like, like, like you bring it, bring it up. Well, I think it, the, it is it the is, other is, one up again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It has become a little bit of a running joke, uh, between the three of us. You know, anytime, anytime he brings up Ryan Reynolds, Charlie and I are like, you know, <sighs> rolling yeah. our you eyes. With, start a mm-hmm. jar, man.
4: So did Jari make some money? Uh, Final question for you: Um, You, what's next, man? What what do you? What do you? What do you? What doesn't anyone know that you're going to be doing next? That you're going to tell me
3: everything about right now? Uh, I don't know. I'm 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 currently reading scripts. Uh, I'm looking, sifting through projects and. you know, I, I'm in a fortunate position where I can kind of afford to be, I can afford to be picky. Mm. Um, I don't want to be so picky that, that I lose any momentum coming off of a uh, Blackberry, but at the same time, like I, I really want to be smart about what I, what I do next and, and targeted. I mean, it's, it's really not, I don't have a, I love almost every genre of film, so I'm not, uh, fighting for anything in terms of a specific genre. Um, I just don't want to repeat myself. I want to play a varied, a ver- varied kinds of characters and um, and in, in varied projects. And I want to work on uh, with, with people that I like, yeah, and and feel like I have some uh, shared interests with. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the strike kind of just ended, so we're just, and now it's the holidays, so we're just. So you know, go go enjoy
4: the holidays buy some yeah. gifts for your kids buy some gifts for yourself cuz that's what the, their
3: gifts to you are that's
4: right yeah yes you know yes. and then oh uh, look
3: what you got me i know yeah It's always uh, the best but but I, no i'm i'm curious to see what i do next too um uh, i i mean i'm excited i mean i i'm excited at what is going to come off the heels of this because uh hopefully I don't know. Hopefully, it's it's. Hopefully, it's I, an Oscar nomination. Well, that'd be amazing. I, but yeah. I you know, I just don't want to. I just want to be challenged. I want to. I want to subvert expectation at every turn, just because that's what excites me right. as an artist and is what keeps me motivated.
4: I'm going to send the email to Hollywood about Hamlet and get that going for you. Yeah,
0: send
3: it to Hollywood.
0: <laughs> that's actor Glenn Howerton, star of the film Blackberry. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jaz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider. Happy New Year, and we'll see you on the circuit.